You're listening to That Worked, a show that breaks down the careers of top founders and executives and pulls out those key items that led to their success. I'm your host, Callan Harrington, founder of Flash Growth, and I couldn't be more excited that you're here. We have a guest here today, Suresh Rachuri, which I'm super excited. I've known Suresh for a while. Uh, Suresh is the CEO and founder of Maven. And Maven is an IT consulting company, and they have been growing like crazy for a while. And I'm going to have Suresh, because I know I didn't do it justice, uh, give a better explanation for that. So Suresh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Callan. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about Maven. Sure. Maven is an IT consulting solutions and staffing firm. I founded it back in uh, June of 2010, and we celebrated our 12-year anniversary not too long ago. Congrats. That's amazing. I mean, I hear everybody, once you get to that 10-year, right? That 10 years at mark, so 12 years is excellent. I always like to kind of kick these off with, how did you get here? How did you get to where you're at today? Where did it all start? Good question. Well, I I didn't know I was going to be going into IT. You're talking to somebody that dropped out of high school, got their GED, went to college for their freshman year, and then during college, had a family situation. My parents, they both lost their jobs, were harder in their luck. They took their $50,000 that they had in their savings, and they tried to get buy the American dream. They bought a uh, carryout in Columbus in a little rougher of an area. And um, one thing led to another, and before you know it, while I was carefree and just going to school and skateboarding and so forth. I get a call from a family member and a family member says, hey, your dad's in a hospital. You need to go see your mom right away. I was like, whoa. So lo and behold, I found out that uh, my dad was hospitalized because he got jumped by some folks who were uh, robbing the store. That freaked me out. My dad's my hero, right? Uh, yeah, he's absolutely. And so forth. He's our shepherd and so forth. I, that freaked me out. And I didn't want my mom working there by herself. So uh dropped out of college and uh, worked there for with my mom, made sure she was never alone. You know, before you know it, uh, I started just running a mini mart and so forth. And then mom and dad, dad got better. Mom and dad asked, hey, do you mind running the shop? while we go take some Oracle classes. So they went and took some Oracle classes, learned how to code and program an Oracle. And then they both got jobs out in the Carolinas with the defense contractor. Things are going great. And then I set up an assembly line for the carryout. And uh, it's all from the experience I learned working at a pizza shop, Donato's and so forth that I created. We got a uh, conveyor belt oven and then we created this assembly line for all the veggies and all the meats and so forth. And before you know it, the uh, subs were selling more than anything else in the convenience store. We were able to save up enough money to buy a second store, a uh, drive-thru carryout. And then when we did that, my parents were like, hey, do you mind if we go get some SAP classes too? Because ERP, you know, it's more prominent of a role and so forth. I was like, yeah, go for it, go for it. So uh, they took their SAP classes. They became uh, heightened defense contractors. And uh, before you know it, they're like, hey, do you want to buy both stores from us? We'll practically give them to you. I wasn't keen on that. What my parents didn't know during that whole time was um, I was held up a few times uh, at gunpoint. And so was my brother. But we didn't want them to worry. So we didn't tell them about it. We didn't want to 
them to get disrupted with their studies and what they were doing. I'm so proud of them. And they're doing, they've done great. They got their piece of their American dream living out in the burbs here in Columbus, Ohio. Mom is retired. Dad continues to work for Defense Department. That inspired me. While they were learning, what they didn't realize was I was writing code too, learning to write code and doing it on my own, self-taught myself how to code. And then once we sold the businesses, I went into coding, became a software developer, worked for a company and so forth. I enjoyed that, put good food on the table. And then a little after that, um, I was on bench. They asked me to just stick around and so forth. And I stuck around for a few weeks. And then a month goes by and they're like, hey, um, I'm asking them, give me something to do. I'm bored. You told me I can't leave town. I got to be on call and so forth. So uh, they asked me if I could help them recruit some talent. I helped them recruit some talent. I really love the experience of really helping a person get into a new role to the point my first hire out of that. The lady tried, gave me a big hug, got chocolates and candies from it. It was so rewarding. Figured out what my calling was. My calling is to get the right people in the right seats, really understanding the person's motivation and putting them on the right mission. And this has been a journey for me that I've learned over the years on how to continue to get better and better and better helping people get to the right situation. So one, I never knew any of that. This is an incredible story. This transition that you had made, so you you were running these two stores. You mentioned you started learning how to code yourself. What prompted that? What prompted it? Like, hey, I, it sounds like you've got a successful thing going, albeit it's coming with some challenges for sure. What prompted that learning how to code? And why did you want, why code, why learning how to code in particular? Sure. Good question. At that time, I didn't have any college education. I was running a couple convenience stores and it just seemed like I was running into a dead end situation. I didn't want to own those stores. I didn't want that to be my life. I wanted more for my life. And I just felt like the bridging that gap through technology was the right answer. I noticed my parents doing that. And when they became Oracle developers, and then they became SAP, they were studying to be SAP developers, is when the light bulb moment came on. I said, hey, I can get more if I try to start writing code and get a point of entry into information technology, yeah. because that's the future, which is the future we live in now. Yeah, uh, that's, I mean, the fact that your parents were going in to learn how to code on Oracle and SAP, it shows incredible foresight at, at that time. You hear it about all the time. Now, like Salesforce, right? People were going, doing the trailheads and everything. But back then, one, that's a pretty big shift from what they were doing. So that's incredible and clearly had a big impact on you. So. You mentioned in particular recruiting for this particular person, and that had kind of changed life. What's that story? What were you who were you recruiting for? What was the position? It sounds like this was one of your first ones. How did you go about figuring out how to do it? Walk us through that. Sure. The first person I recruited, I don't want to say their names. She was working for a company called Diebel. Great company. You know, they build ATMs for a living and so forth. I'm sure a bunch of other stuff. She, after 19 years, um, she was a part of a layoff. And uh, when I called her, you know, recruited her, cold called her, recruited her, you know, I found all this stuff out, discovered, okay, she was at Debo for 19 years. She has strong uh, 
network infrastructure background. She had a certification in Cisco, Cisco uh, Network Professionals, CCMP. And being a female, too, that was very unheard of then. Yeah, so it was great. Everything she was saying that I was interviewing on, she fit them all very, very well. And then I asked her to come and meet me in person. That's when it got a little weird, and she just wasn't comfortable coming to meet me in person. She just said, no. I didn't take no for an answer. I said, well, I can't do anything until I meet you in person and look you in the eye and shake your hand. So that got her to come in. When she came into the office, she couldn't look me in the eye. She looked down when she talked to me, and she just seemed defeated. And I pulled her into an office, just talked to her one-on-one, and I put the position aside and everything. I was like, what's going on? What's wrong? She's like, I've been interviewing for almost a full year now, and nobody will give me a job or not a chance. I could tell she was felt defeated. You know, she's brilliant. Lo and behold, what we found out was she's being judged by the way she looks. And brilliant, just a beautiful mind and a beautiful person. So I didn't even think of her for the specific position I brought her in for. I actually called a friend of mine from a financial services institution I used to work at. And I said, hey, can you use someone like this? He's like, we need three of them. And I was like, okay, this is on a Tuesday, I do believe. He's like, can you bring her in Thursday or Friday for fingerprinting and have her start on Monday? I was like, "Uh, you haven't even met her yet. I just showed you her resume. He's like, Suresh, I know you. I know you deliver great work, great results. We worked together before. Bring her in. When that happened and I went and told her, she gave me this big bear hug, lift me up off the ground. I was just like, wow, this is this is it. And chocolates, candies, flowers, you know, people, people. It, I feel it just felt good. And her career just took off after that. That's excellent. Why was that so important to you? I've been that person. I've been that person that was judged by the cover. You know, and, um, I feel like I had some empathy with her. I felt her energy, a disparity defeatedness. And I've been there. I wanted to help. That's excellent. I love it. So you placed your first person. Were you working for a company when you did this? Did you do this on your own? What did that look like? I was working for a company. I was writing code for a company, MIS Inc. They got acquired a while back ago, but uh, that's the company I worked for when that, that happened. And I made that transition. So you had this great moment. What'd you do with it? Where did you go from there? They wanted me to still code. I wanted to recruit and uh, we had a difference of opinion and uh, I put in my resignation and uh, got a job recruiting full time in IT. That's really interesting. Now, what was that transition like for you, right? Coding's very different. Recruiting's a pure sales role, in my opinion. Not saying that there's not more to it, but I mean, the cold calling and the discovery, the skill sets, in my opinion, are very, 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 very close, if not the exact same. So what was that transition like from you, from coding to moving into more of a sales-driven role? Sure. It was challenging because it's a different world. It was challenging in a way, just you need to be more relational. uh, To be a good recruiter, you need to be more relational. You need to have empathy with your audience that you're talking to. Finding a job can be stressful for people. What I learned is to have that white glove service. Put yourself in their shoes. It's simple, empathy. And understand them, where they're coming from, how they're wired, what are they motivated by, 
where do they want to go with this and really help them find the right place that will feel their motivation and what they want to accomplish. It took a while to figure that out. It took years, actually. But the transition was, it, it was good. When you say that process of finding the right fit, what's your process for figuring that out? What's my process to figuring out finding the right fit? Understanding my buyer first. Okay. Understanding the purpose of the position they are looking to fill. Understanding the culture of the company that this person would be working for. Understanding the demeanor and the mindset of the person and the team this person would work with and for. These are core essentials before you even start finding and identifying a talent for it. Understanding the mission of the position, the mission of the group and the company too. And then obviously there's two buckets to understand if a person's the right fit for the role or not. One bucket is the job description requirements mm -hmm. and desirables of them. The other bucket is, are they the right fit for that company? Are they not just a culture fit, but are they a culture add? Will the company give them the opportunity to feel what they're, how they're wired, what they're motivated by? An opportunity for them to stay around by helping them accomplish what they want to get done over time. Yep, absolutely. So you've got all that information and you're going out and recruiting a candidate. What's the process for evaluating that fit with the candidate? Sure. Uh, we have a thing called SMART. It's just, I'm not going to give the whole secret sauce away, but somebody's salary, what they're motivated by, what they want to accomplish any relocation needed with them, and training and education. We can get just those five things learned. We can really understand that this person is the right person to get to the next step in questioning for the opportunity and position. Gotcha. Absolutely. So at this point, you're working for somebody and you're getting into the role and this is the first time you've been in a full-time recruiting role. How are you liking it? How's it going? How's the transition going with you just in general? It wasn't good at first. What, how come? What happened? I just got rejected by everybody. Else. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just, uh, uh, and then I, you know, and I was still a little wet behind the ears as a recruiter and so forth. And uh, I was thrown into a role where I didn't really have too much support. I had to learn by myself. Yeah. And just get to the answers. Right. But then uh, after a couple of weeks, I uh, just realized, hey, you know, I need to change my game. What is it? And I started just really putting myself into audience's shoes. And when I started doing that, I was able to hone in on the conversation me and that audience had, but also tap into the conversation that they have while they're talking to me with themselves. What do you mean by that? Uh, there's certain behavior-driven questions that I ask to understand how they approach the question and how they answer that question and so forth. Just really digging into that conversation I have with them and really understand what else, what they might be thinking. There's just some pointed behavior-driven questions as part of our secret sauce I kind of put together. Does that make sense? I think so. Do you have an example that's not part of one of the ones that you would use? 
but you would say that somebody could get value out of using? Sure. Uh, just a simple question like, what motivated you for this, for to even apply for this position? Or what motivated you to talk to me? Right? That's just an open-ended question. Some people are like, can you elaborate on that? And some people are like, money. Some people are, you know, there's an array of answers. But uh, based upon the way they ask that and the tone they ask that and so forth, it has helped me assess that. That makes sense. It does. It's just going to ask, what are you looking for in that world, right? So if we've got somebody out here that's a, a hiring manager for a number of positions, right? What are some things that you would tell them? You know, if you're interviewing, here's one of the challenges, right? I think, and, and I've interviewed hundreds of people personally as well. And what I've found is that so many people, you hear the same things over and over and over and over again. Literally I had a comment today on LinkedIn about this exact subject. And you hear the same things over and over and over again. I know I, as a hiring manager, am looking for any little detail where I could see that they did something a little bit extra on whatever it was. That could be they put up a unique fact that they found about the business, even if they reached out to me via LinkedIn or just something unique that showed that they did a little bit of extra homework is something that I look for. So I'm curious, you who've interviewed thousands of people, what are you looking for that helps them stand out from the crowd? Good question. My responsibility is to, us at Maven, is to do this job and do this job well. Our hiring managers have their day jobs to do. So what I look for is getting it right the first time. I look for somebody who has a you know, who fits both buckets that I mentioned before. More of the behavior bucket if they're a culture fit or culture after that role and that environment, that company, and the tech skills or the job description skills that they have. I need to see those two work together and come together and Biggest thing I look for is, are they motivated by the mission of that role? How is their behavior when we describe the role to them? Are they excited by it? Are they frumpy by it or somewhere in the middle? Okay. So more, you're taking a look at body language. You're taking a look at tone and things like that to get a feel for, is this person generally interested in this or is this somebody that's just kind of going through the motions? Yes. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting. And I and I could see that in sales, that's tough. It's a real, it's a challenging, when you interview a lot of salespeople, leaders, all anybody that kind of grew up in that sales world, and I'm sure you probably had this on recruiters, they all are super excited. They all come off super excited because they're selling themselves on the role, whether or not they actually want it or not. How do you approach those situations? Good question. Carefully. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I, I got to approach it with the mindset of our stakeholder. Yeah. Right. The people that would this person appreciate this person being on their team? Yeah. Would this person be a productive member of the team? Are we doing our customer a good service by even presenting this person to them? Right. Let alone getting that person the position over there. That's really how we approach it. Yeah. At the end of the day, it isn't just getting the business from our customers. It's continue to build that partnership. Yeah. And that makes sense. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's okay. So all things that are equal, 
who's going to be a better culture fit, right? If, if I put this in front of them, are they going to look at this person and say, yes, this person, this is of somebody that aligns with the values of flash growth. Doesn't mean that they may not be a good person regardless, but this person sees the world a little bit similar to how we do. Is that fair? I don't want to lead that question. It's a fair assessment. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. All right. So Let's fast forward a little bit. You had worked with a, a, a number of companies and then you made the decision to go out on your own. Why'd you want to go out on your own? I got fired. Walk us through that. <laughs> I was with, a, I was with a, another consulting firm uh-huh. and a great opportunity. I still love them. You know, they gave yeah. me opportunity, they gave me a chance and I was with them for nearly five years. They just said one day, and I was the leading salesperson. I had the highest margin, highest revenue, and so forth for my line of business. And um, brought me in a room and they said, hey, we're going in a different direction. We're going to let you go. Today's your last day. Why did they do that? You know, I asked. They just said, we're going in a different direction. And then down the road, found out they hired a, two or three more people to take over my role. Gotcha. So, you know, I think they... They were looking at a business decision, and I think they thought they could probably grow faster with three people. You know, what was interesting is all three of those people attrition with that company within six months to a year and a half. But it taught me a lesson. First of all, it did a lot of things for me. Yeah, it's walked to that. Okay. First of all, if I didn't get that swift kick in the, you know what, I wouldn't be where I am now. I'm so happy where I am. Before you dive into that, why? How come? Why would you have not have jumped out on your own if that didn't happen? I needed that stability. And then I got put in an unstable situation. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm already here. Let me go and go full time with my situation and figure this out. You needed that forcing function to put you into there. You know, it's interesting. I, I think a lot, of, I'm like that. I'm very much like that. I, I very much need something to be there to motivate me to do it. Cause I did the same. I, I stayed in, I did not try to start a company for a long time for that exact situation. That fear of not having, let's just call it that safety net. For me, I'm not, I'm not saying that was a fear for you, but it's a fear for me to not have that safety net was intense for sure. So I totally understand that being forced into it. So number two, what was the second one that you're going to mention? Don't be uber transactional and think just because you could save money on something is the right route to take. So that taught me a lesson with my team, with what I have, not to be just transactional on it. Yeah. What's it mean to not be transactional? I mean, you, you always have to have a level of transaction, right? When you're in the business world and so forth. What it means to me, I like to be more relational than transactional. I love building relationships. I love understanding people. I love understanding people's businesses. I love helping them solve their challenges, whether it's in tech or with people. Not just, hey, do you have this, this, and this? Cool. Do you mind if I submit you to my customer? Yeah. Well, that's really transactional. There's two businesses out there. There's some really great companies out there. There really are. There's some large enterprise companies, multi-billion dollar companies that we compete with. But they have a very strong bullpen environment where it's smile and dial. You have to make this many calls a day. You have to do this and so forth. I try to stay away from that transactional world 
uber transactional world and try to have a little relational to it but it might also be because we're boutique and we like to stay boutique so um another thing about what i mean by more relational to transactional is i love to build solutions around our customers and business i love to build people solutions with them. i love to build technology solutions around them i don't want to go in there oh we have this this will help your world better i want to understand where they are and how we can help their world get better just because i have you know it's it's a you know, i see so many people selling a specific tool or a specific thing and it's only that thing that they sell is that really doing that customer a service or would it be better to come in as an advisor and let them know here are your options Here's your vantage point here, here, and here. That makes sense. I think that makes total sense. And I think that in a service business in particular, uh, especially a boutique, I mean, that is how a boutique typically wins, right? They do something that a very large company, the market leader is going to probably be the market leader. Doesn't mean you can't disrupt it, but in a service business, that boutique typically does something um, a little bit different. And people, a lot of people specifically want to work with a boutique for that reason. Is that what you're saying, essentially? Yeah. That makes complete sense. And then you mentioned a third thing that you had learned from that. Third thing from the whole experience of being yeah. like, no. Yep. Never put anyone else in that situation if they didn't need to be. Yeah. What do you mean specifically? I feel like, I delivered great results, but I was put in that situation because the company wanted to have a better bottom line. But the company wasn't hurting. I just don't want to make a decision on somebody because I want to save money or spread it out and try and make more revenue and so forth. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if I'm reading between the lines here, you were producing, which means if you're producing, you're making a lot of money. They agreed to whatever that comp plan was. And as a result of that, they felt it was easier to let go of you, replace your salary and, well, I should say your total comp package with a couple of other more junior people mm -hmm. to take on that role. They believed that three junior people would be less expensive and uh, as a result would be able to match what you were producing. Yes. Match or exceed. Yeah. Right. And I talk about it quite a bit where... So much of this comes down to the comp plan construction, and I've definitely seen it before where it'll be a situation where somebody maximizes the comp plan to make it a ton of money, and somebody will get upset because it's like, hey, well, we should be selling a lot of those. Well, that's I don't, I'm not saying that we should or should not be selling whatever that piece is, but we put a commission on there. If we put a commission on there, we're telling that person that this is what we want them to do. So when you construct a comp plan, like it should be constructed in a way that you just root on the salesperson like crazy. If a salesperson is bringing in $10 million a year and you've constructed and you constructed that comp plan correctly, then the company should be on fire. It should be crushing it. So I, I'm a huge believer in that. So that's excellent. All right, I've labored on this one personally too long. I'm gonna move on. So you made that leap by yourself and you're just getting started. What was that like? It was uh, scary, awesome, all kinds of, a whirlwind of emotions. You know, my brain was going a thousand miles per hour, a hundred different things uh, at once, so forth. And it was, it was a good experience. I ended up um, 
when I went off on my own, I ended up consulting myself out as a recruiter, supporting a couple of different Fortune 500 companies. Yep. So you were essentially doing fractional recruiting for these companies. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So how did Maven evolve into what it is today? Sure. Um, I was stuck. I was stuck on trying to grow the business. It wasn't the growth strategy wasn't working. Uh, I just had a hard time getting into some companies. Columbus is such a relational town that there's so many great companies out there, right? Yeah. Uh, so many great companies I compete with. So many great businesses out there. You know, being such a relational town, people have these relationships already and so forth. It was hard to really get into several different companies. Uh, and so I'd have these onesie, twosie gigs here and there and so forth. Made decent money. I mean, good living and so forth. But it wasn't enough for me. I wanted to grow. And I'm just sitting there. What do I do? How do I figure this out? Who is Maven? What is Maven? What are the core values going to be? Right. And all of a sudden, uh, somebody tapped me on my shoulder and asked me if I wanted to come help uh, the world's largest burrito maker. Hmm. It's like, okay, tell me more. And uh, they wanted to open up their restaurant support center in Columbus, Ohio. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I consulted through another company to this company. And um, within shortly within uh, the first three months, you know, there were some challenges there and so forth. Uh, they actually asked me if I wanted to continue, but they weren't sure about my team. And then I talked to, uh, I said, can you give me a couple of weeks? And then I talked to the powers to be of the company I was consulted through. And I said, hey, you're going to, they might boot everybody on the team except for me. They're like, hey, can you help us out? I was like, yeah, we can figure this out. So they promoted me to a team lead through my own company to them. And I led the pack. And then we turned things around. And before you know it, the entire team was responsible for over 300 plus IT people being placed in Columbus, Ohio for this customer. Just huge. That's in six months. My uh, One of my stakeholders there on the IT side is like, you know, that a boy. I've never seen this before. It's the first time I witnessed something like this. So it's like, great. And uh, that kind of helped me earn my stripes with them. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, what did that mean for you? What did that mean for your company? I was great. I was ready to, I understood this company. I think it's one of the best companies to work for in the whole world. My customer, they're really people oriented, people centric, and they're just growing, growing like gangbusters and they're going to continue to grow. They're going to double in size, I bet within the next three to five years. Yeah. Right. So, um, it, it meant the world to me, and I'm right off into the sunset. They're like, well, wait, where are you going? I was like, I understand where I want my values to be. I learned a lot from you guys on values, on business, and so forth. Now I know what I'm going to do. They're like, well, you added a lot of value to us. We don't want you to just roll off in the sunset. I was like, okay, well, so what they proposed, we worked together with that firm I was supporting to this client. They gave them a couple long-term contracts on general managers on down throughout the company and the country. And that company uh, let me out of my non-compete to work with this company. And I was very grateful for that for both businesses. And that really launched us having our first enterprise account. Absolutely. That's excellent. So fast forward and you're where you're at today. What are you most excited about uh, that you've got coming up? You know, this is a rebuilding year. I'm really excited about having my leadership team take more of the reins 
over for me. Yeah. How is that going for you personally? It's been tough. It's an ego check. Yeah. It really is. Show you my vulnerabilities there. Uh, I jump back into the kitchen and I feel like sometimes I'm, I jump back in and I create chaos. After I leave, there's just chaos there. And the best thing that happened was my leadership team approached me and said this and was able to approach me about it. And I made some fine tunes. Nice, you know, stayed out of the kitchen, but on standby for help when they need it. Yeah, yeah. So now, you know, that helped. So now I'm excited because I reconnected with skateboarding. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, I reconnect, I, I not reconnected, but I started learning the art of golf. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be frustrating. That will be frustrating <laughs> for sure. For uh, sure. I say the art of patience through golf being the conduit. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Absolutely. So now you're in more of this kind of visionary leadership role. What do you see as kind of your role in impacting the company in that position? You know, great question. I see me really trying to figure out where are we the next three to five years? What is Maven going to be? Where's Maven now? Where are we going? Where's our community now? Where's our community going? Where is tech now? Where's tech going? Where's business now? Where's business going? Trying to understand all of that. I have faith in my team when it comes to the consulting solutions and the staffing side of the house. An area that I'm looking to move further into is product development. We've been lucky here at Maven to develop a couple products on accident for a couple other companies. And now we have this product team and uh, I'm really adamant about investing in the community, too, and starting to build some products off of people's ideation. And a dream of mine is Maven to have that third division, but to help incubate people's ideations, bring them in, create a label out of it. And over time, the more sweat equity that person with the idea of brings into the table over time, the more milestones they attain, I eventually want them to be the primary owner and CEO of that business. Yeah. So you start to create kind of a, an incub in-house incubator, an accelerator program, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Well, I love it. This is such an excellent story, right? You coming from dropping out of high school, dropping out of college, uh, getting involved with tech early to have the foresight in that to help kind of support your family, uh, help them accomplish their dreams and in turn accomplish your dreams. You've got a hell of a story, Suresh, and I, I, I'm super grateful you were able to share it with us. I guess one kind of final note, uh, if you could talk to your younger self today, what would you say in that conversation? Don't be scared to take that leap of faith. I wish I would have taken it earlier to go off on my own. And two more things, be humble and listen more. I love it. I love it. Suresh, thank you for joining us today and giving us your time. So many good tidbits and items of wisdom in here. So thank you again, brother, for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Callan. All the best. And uh, just one more thing. I'm glad you took that leap of faith, too. <laughs> I love it. I, You know, it's funny. I don't know if I could do it any other way, but we will see. But yeah, it was tough to do. But awesome, Suresh. This has been excellent. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir.